Attention. This podcast contains subject matter that may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. From out of the darkness, you hear voices that send shivers down your spine. That feeling of dread is undeniable when you notice the monster under the bed is trembling. The aliens are scrambling to get back to the mothership, and the vampires are refusing to rise. Your reptilian overlords are pleased to force on you two humans they swear are not their captives. Your hosts, Michael and Wendy. This is Eerie and Absurd. Welcome back to Eerie and Absurd. I'm Mike. I'm Wendy. I want to give a shout out to the Not Dead podcast, Survival Guide to the Modern World. Yes. Um, They gave our podcast a shout out on their Phantom of Halbron episode. And this podcast is run by three dudes located in the UK. Yeah. And they just discuss a variety of topics and just trying to figure out what's going on in this crazy world. Mm -hmm. So give them a listen. Yeah. They're really great. So our episode. We're talking about werewolves. You think you know about werewolves already? You don't. You don't know shit. When I told her daughter that we were doing werewolf, she goes in her 14-year-old everything. Um, everybody knows what werewolves are, so what exactly are you going to talk about? We already know everything. Wrong. 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 Because I thought I did know. I thought this was going to be something easy we could do, and it was not. And I just want to say that pretty much werewolves were what we would call modern-day serial killers. It seems to be the most logical explanation. Yes. According to some legends, werewolves are people who have the ability to transform into powerful and vicious wolves. Others claim werewolves are a mutant combination of human and wolf. One thing they both agree on is they're ferocious, bloodthirsty beasts that cannot control their insatiable desire to kill people and animals. So it isn't exactly clear when or where the legends of werewolves originated, but it is thought that the first mention of a man turning into a wolf is from the Epic of Gilgamesh, a poem from ancient Mesopotamia. In this story, Gilgamesh jilted a potential lover because she had turned her previous mate into a wolf. Werewolves also appear in Greek mythology with legends of King Lycaon. According to the legend, Lycaon was the son of Pelascus, one of the first mortals to walk the earth. In one version of the story, King Lycaon was seen by Zeus as a mischievous and deceitful king. Zeus decided to test Lycaon by disguising himself as a common laborer and visited the kingdom so he could judge what type of king Lycaon was. While wandering the kingdom, Zeus's divinity started to become apparent and people started to worship the stranger. King Lycaon wasn't sure which deity it was, so he decided to test him. Lycaon threw a huge banquet and invited the stranger. He then sacrificed a young child and roasted the body parts for the main course. In some versions, it was a random child, and then in others, it was Lycaon's youngest son that he had killed and roasted. When he tried to serve it to Zeus, Zeus became angered. Zeus struck down the remaining sons of Lycaon, and then when the king tried to run, Zeus turned him into a half-man, half-wolf creature. If he was going to act like an animal, then he would become one. And so this is the first, like, half-man, half-wolf. Legend. Now, I did see also where the story varies sometimes. There was one that I saw that he was trying to marry one of Zeus's, like, illegitimate children that he had had with a a human, a mortal. Mm -hmm. 
And so he had brought him there to try to please him. And so he could get the daughter's hand in marriage, but then ended up doing the kind of the same thing. Yeah. I saw different versions. It all ended the same. Yeah. He wasn't a great person. Mm-hmm. Like he fancied himself a God. He did a lot of human sacrifices and stuff for that time period. Probably wasn't super uncommon. But yeah, he wasn't a great person anyway. Yeah. Early Nordic folklore also contained tales of werewolves. The saga of Volsung is one of these stories. It tells of a father and son who discover wolf pelts that have the power to turn the wearer into a wolf for 10 days. The father and son wore the pelts, turning themselves into wolves and went on a killing rampage in the forest. It ended with the father attacking the son, causing a lethal wound. The son was only spared when a kind raven gave the father a leaf with healing powers that saved the boy. In Hungarian folklore, the werewolves used to live specifically in the region of Transdanubia, and it was thought that the ability to change into a wolf was obtained in the infant age after suffering of abuse by parents or by a curse. At the age of seven, the boy or girl leaves the house, goes hunting by night, and can change to a person or wolf whenever he or she wants. The curse can also be obtained when in the adulthood by the person passing three times through an arch made of birch with the help of a wild rose spine. I don't know what that means. Whatever that means, yeah. The werewolves were known to exterminate all kinds of farm animals, especially sheep. The transformation usually occurred during the winter solstice, Easter, or during a full moon. Later in the 17th and 18th century, the trials of Hungary not only were conducted against witches, but against werewolves too. And many records exist creating connections between both kinds. Yeah, so there's a lot of connection between werewolves and witches Mm -hmm. throughout all of these stories. Or just people believing in the two. Also, uh, the vampires and werewolves are closely related in Hungary, both being feared Among the South Slavs, there was the belief that if a child was born with hair or a birthmark on their forehead, they were supposed to possess shape-shifting abilities. Though capable of turning into any animal they wished, it was commonly believed that most people preferred to turn into a wolf. Interesting. Yeah. So, how do you you become a werewolf? Or how does a person become a werewolf if they're not born a werewolf or cursed? So, there are several ways one might become a werewolf. One way is to simply remove your clothes and put on a wolfskin belt or a wolf hide. Well, I mean, okay. Yeah. You can't see me. You got a wolf <laughs> belt on. Actually, you're just naked. Yeah. And you have a belt on. Yeah. <laughs> Another way is to drink rainwater from a wolf's paw print or by rubbing on a magical salve. Why would you drink rainwater from a, a any animal's paw print? Do you want to be a werewolf or not? Okay. Okay. No. What if it's not a, a wolf? Yeah, it's a wiener dog. <laughs> you could probably tell by the paw prints. <laughs> there was also the belief that some enchanted streams could help you accomplish the metamorphosis, turning into a wolf. Some believe you could turn into a werewolf by sleeping outside on a summer night with the full moon shining directly onto your face. And so the, the, the moon, you know, full moon is a big thing with werewolf lore. Yeah. And there is some science or some studies that show people behave differently, behave differently, might be more aggressive and stuff like that during a full moon. Yeah. Others thought the transformation from man into beast was a, just from a curse or from making a deal with the devil. Mm -hmm, There it is. So in cinema, a lot of times you'll see that a werewolf, you know, you'll become a werewolf by being scratched or bitten and then later turning. It's like an infection and turning into a werewolf on a full moon or something, you know, later on. Right. 
The idea of the werewolf was that they were ravenous hunters that destroyed and devoured everything in their path in attempts to sate their bloodlust. So it's unlikely that you would get away with a simple scratch or a bite, mm-hmm. but it makes for good storytelling in True. the movies. Well, yeah, and then there's this metamorphosis that you can't stop. Right. So then it's like there's the drama about that. Okay, is there a way to become human again, or how can you if you can? Yeah, so how do you become human if you've been turned into a wolf? Ancient Greeks and Romans believe one way to remove the curse is to exhaust the person that's afflicted. The victim would be subject to long periods of physical activities in an attempt to purge the beast. The idea comes from the claim that many alleged werewolves were exhausted and left feeling weak after a blood-fueled rampage. In medieval Europe, there were traditionally three ways to cure someone from lycanthropy. Medicinally, surgically, or exorcism. An exorcism. Yeah. Okay. Many of the medicinal cures proved to be fatal because most often the flower known as wolfsbane was used in these concoctions. Now, the aconite flower, also known as wolfbane and several other names, is known to be extremely poisonous. So it's probably not a good idea. Another remedy of Arabic origin to cure the werewolf of its ailment was to strike it on the forehead or scalp with a knife. So just hit it in the head? Stab it in the face. (laughs) Another belief from the same culture was to pierce the hands of the werewolves with nails to help cure it. Like stigmata? (laughs) Yeah. Start with that. I'm feeling better already. Uh Uh-huh. I'm not going to be a wolf anymore. Don't stab me in the face. Don't hit me in the head. Stop. Other cultures had less extreme cures such as speaking its Christian name three times or simply scolding the werewolf to cure it. Oh. Bad dog. <laughs> That's what you need. You're somebody to nag you back to human form. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, the act of uh, just converting to Christianity was known to cure lycanthropy. Okay. Well, how you kill a werewolf? Okay. So killing a werewolf. Many of us know from the movies that a silver bullet or a silver weapon is the only true way to kill a werewolf. The first feature film to use anthropomorphic werewolves was Werewolf of London in 1935. Werewolves in today's movies are often depicted as being largely immune to damage by ordinary weapons. They are depicted as being faster and stronger than any human, fast healing, and only being susceptible to silver such as a bullet or a silver-tipped cane. This attribute was first adopted cinematically in the film The Wolfman in 1941. So the silver idea is mostly just Hollywood storytelling. There is, however, a story about the beasts of Jevoudan, where a villager killed a beast that had been terrorizing the village with a silver bullet. This is likely where the movie got the idea for the silver bullet and superhuman strength. And we're going to talk about that more later on. Mm Mm-hmm. Werewolves throughout history have just been as vulnerable to injury and death as regular wolves. People suspected of being werewolves were often burned at the stake just like their witch counterparts. So they weren't killing them with silver-tipped canes. Right. There is, however, I thought this was interesting, a connection to revenants. And we just talked about draugers and reanimated corpses and Mm -hmm. stuff. Before the 19th century, the Greeks believed that if the corpses of a werewolf was not destroyed, they would return to life in the form of a wolf, which prowled battlefields, drinking the blood of dying soldiers. In some rural areas of Germany, Poland, and northern France, it was once believed that people who died in mortal sin came back to life as a blood-drinking wolf. These undead werewolves would return to their human corpse form at daylight. 
They were dealt with by decapitation with a spade and exorcism by the parish priest. The head would then be thrown into a stream where the weight of its sins was thought to weigh it down. And they would do similar things to people they suspected to be vampires as well. It's ridiculous. And so we're going to talk about some medical things that might be misinterpreted as you being a werewolf. Hypertrichosis, also known as werewolf syndrome, is a condition characterized by excessive hair growth anywhere on the person's body. It can often affect both women and men, but it is extremely rare. You guys have all seen the pictures of the... The, like the wolf man at the carnivals and stuff yeah, from the back just, in the day. It grows all over your face and everywhere. Yeah. The abnormal hair growth may cover the face and body or occur in small patches. So it could just be splotchy all over. Hypertrichosis can appear at birth or it can develop over time. So you may go most of your life and all of a sudden you're a werewolf. Oh my word. So that's one that they wouldn't have understood back then. They just think you're a wolf. So the other one is clinical lycanthropy. I did actually look up to see if there was an ICD-10 code. Basically, that's just a clinical code. Like, how would they, if somebody comes in, how are they going to code that, like a a medical perspective? And so, apparently, it's under F22 delusional disorders. I just wanted to, you know. Clinical lycanthropy is considered a rare psychiatric syndrome where a person has the delusion that they can transform into an animal or that they have transformed into an animal in the past. Generally, an affected individual only appears to transform within their own mind. Outwardly, though, their behavior may resemble certain animalistic behaviors, such as crawling on all fours, growling, howling, even biting, snapping at people. Humping your leg. <laughs> I don't, I, I didn't see that. <laughs> listed. <laughs> Lycanthropy is not limited to just wolf or dog transformation. So people have reported shape-shifting into horses, cats, frogs, bees, and foxes. A bee. Hmm. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. A bee. So there was even a case study of a patient that had both clinical lycanthropy and cotard's delusion, which is, it's either cotard or it's cotard's. And I, you know, so I'm not sure. I'm probably not saying it right. Um, But I'm going to say cotard. That sounds better. (laughs) Cotard's delusion, which is also known as walking corpse syndrome. So this is also a very rare mental disorder where a person believes that they're either dead, do not exist, They are putrefying or have lost their blood or internal organs. So I did try to read the case study, but I was going to have to pay for it to view it just for like two hours. It was going to be like $16. And even though I almost did it, I just couldn't justify the cost. I was like, maybe somebody can just tell me about it. Maybe. (laughs) Like in more detail. So some consider lycanthropy to be a psychotic episode caused in connection with another condition, such as like clinical depression, bipolar disorder, or schizophrenia. However, there are also the factors that have to be considered of like cultural influences or even certain neurological conditions that can heavily result in the transformation of human to animal that would play into them believing that they're turning into a wolf or whatever animal it is that they're turning into. That is terrifying. That is quite terrifying. And there's even like a disorder where people believe that others are turning in to animals. Like it's, it can get quite uh, chaotic. Now, we're going to talk about some wolf panic. Wolf panic. Just like witch trials, there was also a wolf panic that occurred. There were wolf trials in a sense, but it was also wolf and witch trials. The difference is wolves were actually a very, very real threat. And they still are today. If you're out in the woods and there's a wolf that's hungry, they will attack you. Mm -hmm. They will kill you. They will eat you. That is facts. Mm -hmm. No cap. No cap. (laughs) 
<laughs> Too old to say that. Strange as it may seem, and well before the infamous Salem witch trials, there was a small period in time where werewolves were considered to be very real and very threatening to people. So starting in the early 15th century, and then kind of during the 16th, the fear and obsession starts to spread of, about the werewolf throughout Europe. It reaches its peak in the 17th century, and then starts to die down and just kind of turn into legend and folklore during the 18th century. They kind of realized like, this is bull. But not as many people were executed for being werewolves compared to witches. And quite a few of the werewolves were actually executed in relation to witchcraft instead of lycanthropy. So a lot of times when a lot of people were actually killed due to being a werewolf, they were also charged with witchcraft since they were so heavily related to one another. Mm. They were either a beast turned by a witch or they mm. did the bidding of a witch. We're going to first start out in 1521. First off, I'm not, I do not speak French. So therefore, when I say these words in my Southern accent, I do apologize. There is no way I'm going to make this sound okay. I really did try. I believe you. You heard me. Yeah. No, I believe you're going to mess them up. But go ahead. Oh. <laughs> So we're going to go to 1521. In 1521, France, there was a traveler that was attacked and injured by a wolf while traveling through Polygny. During the attack, the traveler does injure the wolf. And when the wolf runs off, he or she then tracks the wolf back to the home of a man named Michel Verdun. When the traveler arrives, he finds that Verdun is also injured and dripping with blood. So naturally, this guy is the wolf that attacked him. And therefore, the traveler informs the authorities and Verdun is arrested and tortured. While being tortured, Verdun does confess to being a werewolf, but also provides the names of two other men that he claims are also werewolves. And their names are Pierre Brugot and Philibert Montat. I wonder, like, if they were asking where the rest of his pack was, making him give them names. Maybe, because wolves run in packs. Or if he just didn't like these two people. I was like, yeah, these guys are werewolves too. Maybe. Both of these other men are arrested. And while being tortured, Brugot also confesses to being a werewolf And he states that he also made a deal with three men dressed in black that had come to him on horseback. Apparently, his flock of sheep had been scattered and he was struggling to get them all back together. And these three men had offered to bring his flock back, but also protect his sheep. He just kind of had to do their bidding. And so only after the deal was made, did he find out that doing this had caused him to renounce his baptism. Eventually, he started to go back to church and started to become religious again when Verdun apparently came to him and bring him back to the dark side. This is when Verdun gave him an ointment that allowed them both to turn into werewolves together and they killed two children while they were in wolf form. Verdun agreed with everything that Burgos stated happened. This is another thing I do not understand and I guess it's because of torture. They yeah, always agree. They're torturing them, yeah. They always agree. So it doesn't appear that Philibert Montat ever confessed to being a werewolf or even corroborated what the other men were stating to be true or for whatever reason there are no records of his confession maybe due to him not willing to participate in the ridiculousness maybe he's like no I'm not doing this and so they just we don't have his account yeah he's killed him because it wasn't so ridiculous all three men were found guilty and sentenced to death and then promptly burned at the stake So now we're going to go to like 1572 to 1573. This is the werewolf of Dole. 
living with his new wife on the outskirts of the French town Dole, Giles Garnier was described as a recluse and a social hermit. Not used to feeding anyone other than himself, Garnier found it quite difficult to feed both him and his wife. Now, and I think probably also being in the outskirts of town and like the woods is probably also difficult because mm-hmm. you don't have your neighbors and stuff. So during the same time, several children had gone missing or were found dead in the woods. People began to report seeing a wolf-like creature roaming the woods and the roads outside of town. The children that had been found deceased, the manner in which their bodies had been found were so mutilated that it was obvious that an animal or wolf had attacked the children. The local authorities started to encourage the killing of any and all wolves, hoping that this would stop children from being taken and killed. One evening, a group of workers came across what appeared to be a wolf hovering over the dead body of a child. However, when the wolf was fleeing, it was discovered that there was no wolf at all, but instead it was Garnier. Very soon after this incident, he was arrested. You know, obviously, he goes to trial. And while at trial, Garnier states that while he was hunting one night, a ghost appeared and offered to help ease his suffering because him and his wife were starving. The ghost then gave him an ointment that allowed him to change into a wolf, which would make it easier for him to hunt and feed himself and his wife. In connection with this, he confessed to killing at least four children between the ages of nine and 12 while being a wolf. Almost like he just couldn't help it. He was so hungry. Now, he admitted to at least four, but I've got six accounts here of what happened. Disclosure, if you ain't into this, this is kind of brutal. The first victim was a 10-year-old girl that he dragged into a vineyard where he strangled her, removed her clothing, and ate a portion of her flesh from her thighs and her arms. Once full, he removed another small portion of flesh from the girl and took it to his wife. The second victim, Garnier had savagely attacked another little girl by biting and clawing at her. That is, until he was interrupted by passers-by and he was forced to flee. The girl ended up dying from her wounds a few days later. His third victim was a 10-year-old boy that he viciously killed and ate a portion of his thigh and belly. He also tore off this little boy's leg to save for later. Now, his fourth victim, there's no age, but he says he strangled a small boy, but was interrupted by a group of people that were passing by, which caused him to run off. Due to being interrupted, he didn't get to eat any portion of this boy. His fifth victim, he attacks an unknown boy that was leisurely passing by him by biting and tearing at his belly, eventually tearing the boy in half. No wonder they think a wolf is attacking. Yeah, it looks like an animal is mauling all of these children. What the hell? The sixth victim was a girl that he strangled and then ate a portion of her thigh before removing her left leg and taking it to his wife. There were more than 50 witnesses that confirmed his guilt of killing children, cannibalism, and being seen sometimes as a human and other times as a lougarou, which is a werewolf. Garnier was found guilty of lycanthropy and witchcraft, and on January the 18th of 1574, he was burned at the stake. I wonder what happened to his wife. I know. I couldn't find anything on her. He's bringing legs home, human right? legs. Or is he field dressing it? Like, Maybe it'd be one he's thing if she just didn't know. Yeah, but might be cutting it up. It and... doesn't say. But from past knowledge, usually if you're any way associated with somebody like this, you get killed too. Because obviously you're in league with the devil. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to go to 1589 to Peter Stubb, also known as Stump. Um, he is the werewolf of Bedburr. Peter was a widower with two children, a boy and a girl, and he was a wealthy farmer in Bedburr, Germany during the 1580s. Peter was accused of cannibalism, werewolfery, witchcraft, and having an incestuous relationship with his daughter. Some sources also state that Peter was in a relationship with a very distant relative named Katharina Trumpen. Under the duress of torture, Peter admitted to being a werewolf for 25 years and practicing black magic 
magic since he was 12. He states the devil gave him a belt that when he put on allowed him to change into a wolf and when removed would change him back to his human form. He also confessed that while in wolf form, he would gorge himself on goats, sheep, and humans. He even confessed to killing 14 children, two pregnant women, and their fetuses, and that one of the children was actually his own son who whose brain he ate. So I wonder, did he really do these things? Or is he just doing it because of torture, being tortured? I think a lot of the confessions were definitely due to torture. That's very elaborate. Yeah. I mean, you're just making stuff up too far. Exactly. But that's what they wanted. That's the problem. Yeah. They wanted people to say that stuff. Peter's execution is one of the more brutal on record accounts of an execution regarding werewolfery. So on October the 31st of 1589, Peter was placed on a wheel where his flesh was torn from his body in 10 different places with red hot pincers. The blunt side of an axe head was used to break both arms and both legs to prevent him from returning from the grave. He was then beheaded and his body was burned at the stake. The local authorities then used the same wheel to attach a pole that they put a wolf figure on and then placed Peter's severed head above the wolf to serve as a warning and prevent similar behavior from occurring. Prior to his death, Peter's daughter and his mistress were also flayed and then strangled. Their bodies were burned alongside Peter's. Now, I did find one source that stated that they were tortured, but they were burned alive when his body was burned. They didn't even do anything. And we don't know for sure if he actually, if there was an incestuous relationship at all. 1598, the demon tailor. This one was particularly brutal. Only told through verbal retellings, the transcripts from the werewolf of Chalons were considered to be so disturbing and so horrible that the Parliament of Paris ordered them to be burned in hopes that the history of the events would be forgotten in time. Ooh, let's remind everyone. Right? <laughs> so the story goes that in 1598, a tailor shop on the outskirts of Chalon was ran by a werewolf. During the day, the werewolf could hear children playing outside or near his shop. The tailor would find a way to lure the children into the shop, and once inside, he would sexually abuse the children, then slice open their throats. Then, with the skill of a seasoned butcher, would cut up their bodies and store the remains inside barrels located in the store's cellar. Now, he didn't just stick to the children near his store. He would also roam the forest in wolf form, looking for lost travelers that he could stalk, kill, and carry back to the shop. Another version was the tailor wouldn't risk carrying the bodies back to his shop since it was easier to kill and eat them in the forest. Then it looks like a legit wolf attack. Right. Local authorities eventually become suspicious of the tailor and perform a search of his shop, which includes the cellar. They end up finding the barrels and once open, they find them filled with bleached bones and butchered human flesh. The tailor was arrested, found guilty and burned at the stake. The whole time he was completely unrepentant and was said to scream blasphemous remarks as he was being burned alive. He was for real a werewolf. It's the only one. <laughs> I don't think so. These people are serial killers. They just didn't have a word for it. They didn't know what that was. Because obviously a man doesn't do these things. Yeah. Of only a beast would. Between 1764 and 1767, an unknown terrifying beast killed over 100 people and injured way more in the region of Jevoudan. This is known as the Beast of Jevoudan. This beast was said to be an abnormally large red-black wolf that would stalk and kill anyone who strayed too far from their home. Villagers could tell when the beast had been the cause of an attack due to it would leave its victims with their throats ripped up open or chest ripped open and always decapitating its victims. Even with the reward of a one-year salary posted by the town to hunt the beast down and kill it, the beast could never be killed, no matter how many times it was struck, shot, or stabbed, and therefore the attacks never stopped. Eventually, the attacks and bloodshed attracted the attention of King Louis XV, 
who sent his own personal wolf hunters to stop the beast. However, even they were unsuccessful after spending four months tracking the notorious monster, they ended up with nothing. So the king decides to pull back his hunters, and in their place, he sends his personal bodyguard, Antoine, to kill the beast. So Antoine and his men were able to successfully kill a wolf that turned out to be 31 inches tall and 5 feet 7 inches long. Yeah, that's big. That is huge. The king rewarded Antoine and his men for killing the beast, and for a moment, the attacks did stop. That is until about three months later, with what seemed like a new viciousness, the attacks started right back up. The new sightings of the beast stated it now walked on its hind legs and actually appeared part human. Unfortunately, this was old news for the king, and since he was no longer interested in wolf attacks, he didn't send any help, which in turn caused the locals to have to pull together and do something themselves. Eventually, a man named Jean Chastel, who had specifically been let out of jail to help in the wolf hunt, killed the beast using a silver bullet, which is said to have finally stopped the killings once and for all. When the beast's belly was cut open, it said that human remains of a child were found inside the monster's stomach, which proved to them, to the town, that they got the right beast. And that's where the movies probably got the silver bullet and the... Inhuman strength. Yeah. You just can't yeah. kill it otherwise. They, they think they know now... That it was hyenas? Like a, like striped hyenas or something like that. Yeah. And they were likely killing each one. They just, there were so many. Yeah. It looked like they there were are so Because it happened for so long, there were so many stories of the townsfolk, like, attacking these creatures, like, all the time and harming them and hurting them and how they would just run out. They would literally, like, grab kids by the heads and, like, pull them back. Like, it was craziness. That's a whole story by itself. I didn't realize what I was getting into with the wolves. I thought we were just going to have fun and move on with our lives, but this was a disaster. Okay, now we're going to go to Spain between 1845 and 1852. This is the werewolf of Alariz. Becoming a traveling salesman after his wife passed away in 1833, Manuel Blanco Roma was apparently less than five feet tall and when born had been originally named Manuela due to his parents thinking he was a girl. Being a salesman gave him the ability to travel all over, which in turn allowed him the opportunity to be a guide and take paying travelers across the mountains. So it's kind of like just a second income. In 1844, for whatever reason, Manuel killed a constable that was trying to collect a debt he owed to a supplier. Of course, after killing the constable, he immediately fled the area. However, in his absence, he was still convicted and sentenced to 10 years in prison. So basically, he had to go and hide. Mm -hmm. While this was happening, he was living his best life using a false passport and a new identity in Galatia. While there, Manuel worked as a cook and weaver, which allowed him to become very friendly with other local women. Due to choosing these professions and mainly speaking with women a majority of the time, he was considered effeminate by the local men. What's that mean? <laughs> so that's just a fancy way of saying he wasn't very masculine and he had like feminine characteristics. He was considered unmanly. So under his new identity, he would still work as a guide for travelers that needed to cross the mountains mainly killing the women and children that hired him, he would forge letters to send to the victim's families, which allowed their disappearances to go unnoticed for a longer period of time. Things started going south for Manuel when he was seen selling soap along with the missing person's clothing and belongings. It's also stated that the soap was reportedly made from the fact of his victims. Oh, fight club. No, what? He was finally arrested in 1852, and during his trial, he admitted to killing 13 people, but he had no control of his actions due to suffering from lycanthropy. Doctors did examine Manuel and presented to the court after examining him that there was no case, cause, or motive for his behavior. And it's quoted as saying, 
His inclination to vice is voluntary and not forced. The subject is not insane, dim-witted, or monomaniacal. Mm-mm. Mono... Maniacal? There you go. Monomaniacal. Nor were these conditions achieved while incarcerated. On the contrary, he instead turns out to be a pervert, an accomplished criminal capable of anything, cool and collected and without goodness, but acts with free will, freedom, and knowledge. So they called bullshit. Manuel's convicted for nine of the murders and sentenced to death. So he's only convicted of nine because they believe that the other victims were actually killed by wolves. It's hard to tell at this point. Probably. However, 14 months into his sentence, he dies in prison. One account does state he was shot by a prison guard after he wanted to see Man- Manuel transform, and he refused, and he wouldn't do it. <laughs> Another account is that he died from stomach cancer. So, there is a theory that due to a famine occurring in the region during Manuel's crimes that he became insane due to malnourishment. Stop trying to make an excuse for his crazy. I'm surprised he made it 14 months after. Right? Yeah, it's weird. And there was one thing I did see, so... Apparently, during his trial, he also said that he only you only suffer from the condition of lycanthropy for 13 years and his condition because they asked him to transform in court. And he said he couldn't because his 13 years was up. Yeah, I'm cured. It's amazing. <laughs> My last story is in 1849. This is still kind of during the werewolf panic. It's the Glacian werewolf. This is a story that was told by Sabine Baring Gold, who some might know as writing the hymn Onward Christian Soldier. Never heard of it. You have. I know you have. Everybody's heard it if they've ever been to church. Even if they haven't, I'm pretty sure everybody's heard of it. Taking place in a settlement near what is now modern-day Poland lived a beggar named Swiatek. The villagers in this town were all very poor but had no problem sharing what little they had with one another or even someone worse off than them, like the beggar. According to the story, the beggar was being fed by a local family when one of the children in their care caught his eye. A little girl who was orphaned when her mother passed away and the family had decided to take care of her. The beggar gave the little girl a ring from his pocket and told her that if she took it to the churchyard and recited an incantation, more jewels or rings would make themselves known to her. Super excited about hearing the news, the little girl tells her siblings about her treasure hunt. Hearing this, the beggar explains to her that she must go alone in order for the incantation to work. After finishing his meal, he quickly departs, and the beggar or the little girl are never seen again. This kind of reminds me of Little Red Riding Hood. Exactly. Makes you wonder. But soon after the little girl goes missing, other children start to go missing when playing near the woods. As more and more children begin to disappear, the villagers suspect that wolves are the cause and so they would kill any on sight. However, a local innkeeper becomes suspicious of the beggar when two ducks go missing from his property. The innkeeper goes to the beggar's home and could smell roasted meat, which confirms that he stole the ducks. The innkeeper, angry, enters the home without warning and causes the beggar to hide something beneath his clothes. Even more enraged, the innkeeper grabs the beggar by his throat, which causes the beggar to drop what he was hiding. When the innkeeper looks down, it's not ducks that he sees. He sees the head of one of the missing children, a 14-year-old girl laying on the floor. So when, uh, so obviously the innkeeper tells the authorities, and when the beggar's home was searched, they discovered the very skillfully butchered girl's remains. Her organs had been removed and cleaned. Under the oven was a fresh bowl of blood, and her limbs were actually cooking on the fire. The beggar admitted to everything and stated he had killed and eaten six people. However, the number is suspected to be much higher than confessed. When asked why or what causes cannibalism, he recounted experience of fire at a tavern. Having not eaten anything for an extended period of time, he was starving. And when the fire died down and he smelled the cooked remains of several of the persons killed in the fire, 
he decided to try the roasted meat and found it quite fulfilling. Unfortunately, the beggar hung himself in prison before being tried and convicted of his crimes. However, the villagers strongly suspected him of lycanthropy and I'm sure witchcraft. And let's not just, you know, glaze over the fact that the innkeeper thought that it smelled delicious as well. Stop. Long pork. That's Stop. what Stop. What? <laughs> I think it's like the other other. It seems meat. like you would, it, there would be a huge difference in smell of duck and human, right? I, you know, I couldn't I, tell you. Right? I don't know what human smells like cooked, but I feel like you would tell the difference if you'd smelt a duck cooking and be like, hmm, what's that? I'll try it. <laughs> no, you won't. Those are all just most likely serial killers. Yes, that were convicted of lycanthropy and witchcraft. That actually apparently happened during the wolf panic of the 16th or 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th centuries. <laughs> I want to hear about some real werewolves. Some real ones. I think we know that they're not real. They are real. They're not. Wolves are real. Werewolves are not real. Tell me about some real ones. I'm going to tell you of one real world sighting. Okay. Okay. This is the werewolf of Morbach. According to legend, Morbach is the last place where a werewolf was killed. A single candle burns in the village in a shrine as a reminder, but also as a warning. According to legend, if the candle were to go out, a werewolf will come and kill anything in its path. Unfortunately, one night in 1988, the candle goes out. That same evening, a group of Air Force personnel are returning to their base at Moorbach. As they pass the old shrine, they notice that the candle is out. They begin to laugh and make jokes about the werewolf returning, you know, because it's a legend. Later that night, when a majority of the base is sleeping, the base sirens are triggered. Someone has triggered the perimeter sensors, so obviously the base is now up, and while investigating the breach, one of the security guards spots a large wolf-like creature standing on its hind legs staring at the soldier. Making contact with the beast for what seemed like an eternity, the beast turns to flee and clears a nine-foot fence in one leap. A police dog is brought to track the beast, but when it gets close to the spot where the werewolf was seen, the canine begins trembling, howling, and refuses to go any further. The candle in the shrine is immediately relit and from all accounts has never gone out since, and the werewolf of Morbach has never been seen since. Hell yeah. Hell it's a yeah. real werewolf. Probably not. It is. <laughs> Anyways, that was a, that's an awesome story. Damn candle went out. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. We got one guy on candle duty the whole time. And he from failed. On. He failed that night though. Yeah. But it's a real thing. That that the shrine is real. That does exist. We'll post a picture. But just to finish this out, I'm gonna tell you very quickly who the werewolf of Morbach is. Or was. Was? Is, could be, still. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Thomas Johannes Baptiste Schweitzer is a deserter from the Napoleon Army and is fleeing back to his homeland. He is accompanied by a group of Russian deserters in the process. One night, the soldiers, hungry and tired, see a farmhouse outside the village of Whitlich, Germany. Deciding to take what they want from the farm, they are eventually discovered by the farmer and his sons. Of course, they end up murdering the farmer and his sons, and when the farmer's wife discovers what's happened, she screams and in her agony curses Schweitzer, stating, From now on, at each full moon, you will change into a rabid wolf. Schweitzer, angered by the woman, crushes her skull, killing her. What are the odds of a werewolf robbing a witch's house? I didn't think about that. That's crazy. Gradually, a change starts to come over Schweitzer. He becomes meaner, more animalistic, and without inhibitions. He begins to rob, rape, and murder at his pleasure. The Russian deserters that are with him decide he is too much, and he soon leaves them and takes up with bandits and highwaymen. But even these men are appalled and disgusted with his behavior. 
And so he soon has to leave these men and retreats deep into the forest. Due to men and cattle being found brutally slaughtered throughout the countryside, tales of a wolf walking like a man begin to spread. Unfortunately, Schweitzer spies the beautiful daughter of a local farmer named Elizabeth Burl. In his animalistic desire and carnal lust, he rapes Elizabeth. The villagers were in an uproar over the killings and now the rape of a local girl. A few days later, when the werewolf Schweitzer is discovered in the woods, the villagers run him down, corner him near the village of Morbach, and kill him. Burying him at a crossing, they put up a shrine and light a candle that is to burn continuously and never go out. As long as the candle is lit, the werewolf will never return. Nine months later, Elizabeth gives birth to a son she named Martin. According to legend, Elizabeth was relieved to see that the child held no resemblance or characteristics of a wolf. To this day, descendants of Elizabeth and her child Martin still live in or near the area of Moorbach and are considered to be a very well-respected family that have shown no signs of inheriting the infamous curse bestowed on their beastly ancestor. As long as that candle don't go out. Right? What if that's what happened? The candle went out. One of them turned into a wolf. Was trying to just come be like, hey, y'all, look at me. Yeah, I can jump high as fuck, boy. (laughs) And then it did. But that, you guys, are the serial killer werewolves. Werewolves. They're serial killers. Yeah. All of them. Yeah, the last one's a real werewolf. He's also a serial killer. They're all killers. People act like serial killing was something new or like it just started showing up in the 70s. I mean. Would you rather be a werewolf or a vampire? I would rather be a vampire. Why? Because I don't want to turn into a dog. You have to be naked and stuff all the time. Forget that. That just rips everything except your pants off, I think. No. (laughs) I'd rather just be a vampire. Hmm. Sparkle in the sun and shit. No. That is not true. I want, I'd be a werewolf. Okay, then we're mortal enemies, sir. Yeah. I don't think so. You ever seen Underworld? Yeah, they are mortal enemies. Well, yeah, they fought a lot, but there was two in there that they loved each other. <sighs> okay. Well, awesome. Good job. Thank you. Good job to you. I hope everybody enjoyed the serial killers we discussed today. You probably learned something about werewolves that you thought you knew. You didn't know. You, yeah. How would you know? You didn't hear us tell you about it Yeah, yet. this is real. Real life. Real what? Life. Real life. <laughs> so don't forget to like us love us write us share us with all your friends and enemies send us a message email us at eerie and at gmail.com contact us on instagram on facebook yeah you can message us on those yeah yeah we love hearing from you yep until next time you guys if you suspect your neighbor or maybe a family member of werewolfery stab them in the face <laughs> no you're trying to help cure them i bet if you just have like a fork and you poke them in the head You could just say their name three times. Oh, that's right. Oh, my gosh. You could get your nagging wife to go and, like, nag up the dad. That's why I never wolf out. It's Mike, Mike, Mike. What? (laughs) That's not true. (laughs) Uh, No. (laughs) Bye. Until next time, fellow Absurdians, remember, everything you've heard is true, monsters are real, and the strangers in black are not a figment of your imagination. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on iTunes or your favorite podcast streaming service. Do you have a story you want to share? Contact us at eerieandabsurd at gmail.com or visit our website at eerieandabsurd.com to submit a suggestion. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram, both at eerie underscore absurd.